Wednesdays. I am your host, Courtney Weaver. I'm the director over at Well WVU here at West Virginia University. Uh, once again, we're recording from the comfort of our own homes as opposed to our cozy studio over on campus due to our self-isolation mandates from the federal and state government. So we're keeping in line with those public health guidelines, which is super important. Uh, my guest today is, Dr. is Brian Quigley from the Carruth Center. And Brian, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us about your role at the Carruth Center. So I'm the medical director at the, the Carruth Center. I'm a psychiatrist. And so that means I went through medical school and yeah, I went to the University of Washington for medical school and then came to Morgantown to WVU to do my residency in psychiatry. And then after I completed that, I've been uh, part of the Cruise Center since 2007 or thereabouts. Um, and yeah, work as a psychiatrist, both seeing college students at WVU and then also I work um, within the WVU School of Medicine Department of Behavioral Medicine. And um, so see patients, uh, some at, at uh, WV Medicine and work with psychiatry residents, um, do a little bit of forensic psychiatry, not much these days. Yeah, that's it. Okay, uh, we're going to have to talk offline about forensic psychiatry because I'm, I'm a true crime, like, fun addict. So, <laughs> but that's it's not what it sounds. That, that, what you, your description is way cooler. Like, forensic psychiatry is not as cool as, like, true crime stuff. Oh, yeah. well, yeah. yeah I could still try to pretend it's cool. <laughs> it's for another day. Um, so, we're actually here today, and we're going to talk about a basic fundamental need that every human being has and that's about sleep and yes. the yes and all the things that uh, we should be doing and many of us probably aren't so let's talk about some sleep basics to start us off so brian how many hours of sleep should the typical college student or average adult be getting every night yeah it's uh so average adult that's a great way to frame it and and uh Thing that I think all of us have heard is eight hours and so I was glad you mentioned it as an average right because it's not everybody that needs eight hours some people do better with nine some people do better with seven some do better with six uh, it's it's there's a range and when you add all of them up and average them it, it's about eight in most most adults, and I'm glad that you mentioned it's, it's, it's adults. It's different depending on the stage of life that you're in. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's different for an infant compared to a college student. Um, but yeah, eight is the average, and so that's kind of the, that's the place to begin the conversation with. Um, I thought I was like, you know, I, I had like, I wanted to be superhuman when I was in medical school, and I was like, I only need like four. Um, and I could train myself to just need four. And that was, that was a disaster. <laughs> I, I can imagine. Experiment. Failed experiment. Yeah. <laughs> I need 8.5. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could get 8.5 hours of sleep every day. Yeah. Um, so could you describe what the typical sleep cycle is for those who don't know? Yeah, no, that's great. So yeah, that's the, both the sort of colloquial term sleep cycle as well as the clinical one. And so it really um, speaks to the fact that our sleep has a cycle, it has a cyclical pattern. The most obvious part, right, is most people feel tired in the evening, sleep when it's dark, and then awaken when it's light out, and then the cycle 
goes back again. That's called the circadian rhythm. That's more than like, like it's basically on a 24-hour cycle. But within that period of time that we're sleeping, there's some rhythms within that, some sort of meta rhythms. Um, and, and really, it just kind of starts off as like light sleep. Um, so it's really easy to wake up. Like let's say you fall asleep 10 minutes after your head's on the pillow. And then maybe over the next 30 minutes, it's kind of this light sleep where if somebody nudges you, you can you know, wake back up. And then that slowly merges into deep sleep, which is maybe, you know, for a lot of people around the, I don't know, 40 minute mark or something like that, where the brain kind of starts to do something completely different than light sleep and and a whole bunch of brain processes are happening. Probably the most important one in deep sleep is that's when the majority of human growth hormone is made. And that has a lot of uh, important sort of physical restorative properties. Um, so you get this big bolus of, of human growth hormone, and then that transitions into um, REM sleep. And the first cycle of REM sleep usually occurs about 90 minutes after you've fallen asleep. And that's, that's in those of us who are sleeping well and kind of have healthy sleep. And then it kind of goes back and forth between, you know, these different aspects of sleep, um, light sleep, deep sleep, REM sleep. And there's varying proportions of these that kind of um, – progress throughout the night. And then usually when we wake up in the morning, the most recent cycle that we've had is a, is a cycle of REM sleep. Um, REM sleep stands, REM stands for rapid eye movement. Um, and that's because the characteristic kind of observation in that stage of sleep is that the eyes are darting back and forth, rapid eye movement. And you can see that um, even under the eyelids. Um, and then it can also, you can detect that eye movement pattern on a uh, what's called an EEG or an electroencephalogram that measures brainwave activity um, often um, can, can be measured during sleep. And so, yeah, that, that's that usually we wake up and, and that's also uh, uh, REM sleep is when we tend to dream. So sometimes when we wake up, we're like, oh yeah, that was a crazy dream or, oh, that was, why was Gordon Gee in my dream? I'm not sure. That was weird. <laughs> and so why is REM sleep so important? REM sleep, yeah, REM sleep is super important. We think that has a lot to do with the time of night when our brain kind of restores from an emotional standpoint and a cognitive standpoint. So memory functioning definitely appears to be really strongly related to REM sleep. So, like, it's horrible, but, like, um, you know, the military has tortured people by selectively depriving them from REM sleep. And one of the, I mean, one of the reasons they do that is because it trashes people's memory and makes them really emotionally vulnerable. And so, you know, somebody can fall asleep there, they get a little bit of sleep, but then they're, as soon as their eyes start moving back and forth, they're, um, they're woken up. And so they never really get that. And after a few days of this, it, it's really, really unsettling. So yeah, it's really important for emotional, Stability and memory stability and just general cognitive um, functioning, good cognitive functioning. Right. And that can also be an argument against uh, pulling all-nighters that students tend to do on college campuses. Definitely, definitely. And particularly like finals week, having back-to-back all-nighters is hugely problematic for your um, academic performance. And that that's... You know, I'm, I'm sure that sounds like a parent saying that, and, and I am a parent, and I bug my kids about that all the time. But it's it's very true. It's it's it's. I mean, if, if you could do an experiment, I don't recommend doing the experiment 
on yourself. Just trust me. It, <laughs> your, your cognitive performance will not do well. But if you don't trust me, you know, you could try a cognitive experiment and the cognitive decline is rapid after you know, two nights in a row. It's, it's really erodes quickly. And according to the National College Health Assessment, uh, nationwide, sleep difficulties are usually within the top five, if not within the top six, um, highest academic impediments that college students are reporting. So sleep really does have a, a great impact on your academic performance. Yeah, and that's interesting. That's from the, the student taking the survey's perspective. So if the student is saying it's in the top five, you know, if you ask me as a, a doctor of students, I put it in the top one <laughs> you know across the board like for every institution stress is the number one academic impediment but stress and sleep are so closely linked that students might not even realize that it could be both no and i think just as general humans you and i i mean i think it would be hard for any human to distinguish between stress and and uh a sleep problem that we're not totally aware of. Mm-hmm. If you're getting seven versus eight and you've done that and your your need is eight and you've been doing seven for a couple weeks and then you're feeling more stressed because there is more stress in your environment, you may not say, oh, it's because I'm actually cumulatively now eight hours behind over the last eight days and you're not going to attribute that to sleep. You're going to say it's that external factor that's that's stressing me out that's causing it. But But really that that loss in sleep has made us more vulnerable to the external stresses. And we interpret those stresses differently. Yeah. So I've I've heard this before where students might, either they're pulling all-nighters or they're really only sleeping a few hours a night, but then on the weekends, they're like, well, I make up for it on the weekends and I sleep 10, 12 hours. Now, are they actually making that sleep up or what's the actual, what's your... I guess, opinion of that as a medical professional. Yeah, probably not. And as you can imagine, that would be really hard to definitively measure. But I think most people in the sleep field would tell you, no, you're not making it up. And that it's really hard to make it up. It's like, it's like credit card debt or something. You know, you, you spend, you, you spend uh, I don't know, 10 hours worth during the week by staying up. Mm-hmm. And you sleep in an extra four, you're still down six units um and True. you know uh, most people aren't gonna you know sleep 24 hours straight to, to make it up and it, and it probably doesn't even work that way physiologically because mm-hmm. like i said there's this circadian rhythm that happens as part of all this and that that's dark and, and light and so the the sun doesn't stop right you know doing its thing because we hold successive all-nighters it doesn't take a break and right and try to make our rooms like a cave but there's still all the normal social rhythms and uh, diurnal rhythms that occur. And so, yeah, we probably never totally make that up. Okay. Good to know. Uh, So what does the phrase sleep hygiene mean? Because that's something that people, especially like in health promotion and in the medical field kind of throw around. So what's your definition of that? Yeah. So um, I mean, I think the basic core of it is like good sleep practices or, or good or behaviors that support sleep. Um, and so there, yeah, there's a number of those. There's sort of like internal factors and external factors. I think the big external factors for, for most adults and in particular college age adults would be alcohol, mm. substances, caffeine, 
as you maybe take a shot there of no uh, this is water <laughs> i actually don't drink coffee so <laughs> all right let's get a zoom on that make sure like, I, I, pr- I promise well it's water oh, okay i believe you <laughs> but yeah no i mean so yeah caffeine and and all its various forms and alcohol are two big external variables that can have an impact on a person's sleep and can be a behavior specific behavior that is modifiable that can improve a person's sleep. So alcohol, the way the alcohol works, it actually, it it blocks your REM sleep. So it's weird because you feel, you know, if we have, if I I have a beer with dinner or after dinner, you know, you kind of feel a little bit more relaxed and, and sometimes when you feel more relaxed, it's like, Oh yeah those two all-nighters, those three all-nighters are starting to catch up with me. I can really feel it. I can fall asleep really easy. Mm-hmm. You feel like, okay, alcohol makes me sleep easier. But it's, it, it, although you may fall asleep easier, what your brain is doing, it's blocking the REM sleep. And so you're not getting quality sleep. And that quality of the sleep, and I, I should have mentioned that earlier when we were talking about the amount, the quantity Eight hours is important, but even more important than the, the number of hours is the quality of that sleep. And alcohol disrupts, absolutely wrecks the quality of sleep, even small amounts, um, which isn't to say we shouldn't ever have a glass of wine or have beer. Uh, but, you know, it, it, even those small amounts will, will um, decrease the quality of our sleep. So you, so you end up having to make kind of decisions, and that comes back to the hygiene, making healthy decisions. Um, caffeine, you know, in a different way, it makes it hard to fall asleep, um, and can make it easy to, 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 uh, wake back up, um, during the night. Mm-hmm. And, so now- the, and then internal factors would be a whole bunch of things like some mental health related, like anxiety, some stress related. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of things. There's the temperature of the room. There's uh, how dark is the room, the, the, the sound outside, um, the time that you go to bed, the time that you wake up. There's a lot of different variables. and All those things center around human behaviors that we can modify that can contribute to good sleep hygiene. So let's talk about screen time because that's what we see a lot. Yeah. Students are constantly on their phones. I mean, everyone seems to be constantly on their phones. And what with the shift to folks staying inside their homes is that they may be using their bed for more than just sleep. So they, they might be on their phone. They might be on their computers doing their coursework. Um, but how does screen time affect sleep? Yeah. Uh, just as you said. Um, so Part of it is like now, especially during, I think, um, while we're self-quarantining or quarantining, we're going to be on devices more. That's kind of how we're able to get, how we're going to be able to maintain a physical distance, but not social distance. Um, And so, yeah, if we're doing that in our bed, now our brains start to equate sort of this alert state. Like you and I are pretty alert right now. Hopefully we're having a, a conversation and the social part of our brain is turned on and that's not really the part of the brain that we want turned on while we're trying to fall asleep. And so if you have a device in your bed and you're checking social media or whatever, you're turning on all these different neural networks in your brain that are not compatible with what you're really trying to do, which is shut down neural networks. So sleep can sort of take over. So there's that piece, but then there's also the actual light that comes from the screen. And, you know, you, usually there's a lot of, um, blue light 
that comes from computer screens and device screens. And blue light is at a frequency that um, the uh, photopigments in the retina pick up on, and, and there's a special uh, neural pathway that goes to the uh, sort of sleep centers of the brain and, and, and really kind of mess that up. So having blue light kind of um, essentially makes it so your melatonin response is blunted or, or doesn't turn on like it's supposed to. And that has this big cascade of effects on our circadian rhythm, which I referenced earlier. Yeah. So I think from two, two standpoints, the light itself and then the, the, the sort of the, the social brain and other parts of our brain that get turned on with these devices, putting those both together in an environment that ideally is for sleep alone is, is problematic and part of the sleep hygiene equation. So how long before bed should folks turn their screens off? Um, I mean, it depends on who you ask. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the quick answer is say an hour. Um, uh, the quick answer is an hour, but like, let's say, you know, you've just been doing, like you've been using your phone in bed and you've seen it as your main wind down for years mm -hmm. and you're to go from like every night to like a whole hour. Like I'm not even going to try that. That's that, that might be a big jump for people. So I think scaling back gradually mm -hmm. can work better for some people instead of like keeping a, like exactly an hour. Well, if you can't do an hour, you're terrible at it and might as well ditch it. Um, be, you know, be, be kind to yourself, make it progressive, you know, if, do it for 15 minutes before you go to bed, have zero screen time. If you can manage that. Okay. Then move it to 30 and, and maybe shoot for eventually getting to an hour. Yeah. Um, I think it depends too on our different, you know, all of us have different temperaments. I can be kind of wound tight and just kind of have some baseline anxiety myself. And so sometimes if I've been wound up all day, even sort of shutting down the devices an hour before isn't enough. You know, I still have enough momentum from the day that even an hour wind down period isn't quite enough and really two hours is better. So I think you kind of have to sort of learn your own little idiosyncrasies and quirks and, use those to help guide you. But, but roughly an hour is a good place to start. All right. Um, okay. So in, in this podcast, we like to do a little bit of a, a hot moment in popular culture or in current events related to well-being. And for the past couple of weeks, it's been supplied by our friend COVID-19. Well, not really our friend, but um, this pandemic that's happening. So could you speak a little bit to how you think this pandemic might be impacting the quality of folks' sleep. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've, I guess I've only been thinking about it, like, not super carefully, but now that you ask it and put me on the spot <laughs> and, and helped give me hints earlier that you were going to go this direction, I mean, yeah, you're right. We're, we're inside more. We're using this term social distancing which some have argued that's maybe not the best term because we're really trying to achieve physical distancing because that's how the virus, um, a primary way it's transmitted. But we can be in social contact through uh, our devices and, and different electronic means. And so there might be more, you know, we're, we're going to need our social fixes. And so, yeah, there might be a tendency for that to begin to encroach into the evening hours and into the bedtime hours. So, yeah, maybe the coronavirus pandemic might yeah we might be be seeing more social outlets through the devices which again the light and the social network 
so social networks and the brain turning on right during sleep could, you know, be something that could sneak up on all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we're like way past our time, which is great. Um, so thank you so much, Brian, for taking time out of your busy day to chat with us about sleep. Uh, maybe we'll have you on again because there are a bunch of stuff. There's a bunch of questions that we actually didn't get to <laughs> that I would still like to explore. So, yeah. Well, thanks um, for getting those podcasts together. It's awesome. Yeah, it's 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 been a good time. So I'm glad we can continue to do it even from home, which is which is really great. Yeah. Um, so to all our listeners out there, thank you so much. Stay safe, and we will catch you next time on Wellbeing Wednesdays.